You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Man, it is great to be here, and it has been 20 years. Wow. Um, the, it, I, I don't know. It's, it's so weird. Um, we started this church 20 years ago. I was young when we started this. Uh, I, I was 26. I was barely shaving. And I distinctly remember my wife telling me, she's like, you know, when we celebrate 20 years, you're going to be 46. And I said to her, and I'm like, I'll never be that old. And, and here we are. And now I'm, I'm 46. And uh, I remember turning 40 uh, a few years ago. And my wife threw me a big party. And both of my friends came. And, uh, and my daughter Mia was seven at the time. And uh, she says, she says, so dad, uh, how old are you now? And I said, I'm 40. And she started to cry. And she says, oh, dad, I don't want you to die. And so anyway, you can imagine, I'm going to turn 47 next month. And uh, so, but Calvary started, uh, we started in September of 2000. Now, I don't know, how many of you were alive in 2000? Can I ask that? All right, good. Many of you. Some of you just barely. You're alive, but not conscious. Um, So just to give you an idea of what life was like in September of 2000, all right? First thing you want to know is that we were just getting over the Y2K scare. So that is actually a, an actual Time Magazine uh, cover. Um, the other thing was we became obsessed with celebrity couples. So here's a celebrity couple. This is uh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. And this is when, and, and if you remember celebrity couples, we started meshing their names together. So uh, they became uh, Brennifer. I told my wife we should never do that because my name is Bob and her name is Carrie. So our celebrity couple name would be Barry. And that's weird. So um, if you wanted to talk to us, uh, you would use one of these devices, uh, a, a Nextel, which was basically a walkie-talkie for grown-ups. Um, and uh, anyway, it was a, that was a weird time. And uh, the other thing was in 2000, uh, Coldplay uh, released the album Parachutes, and we've never thought of the color yellow the same way. Um, but now, if you want to talk about top songs in 2000, um, here was the number one song, uh, Bye 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 by NSYNC. And uh, you know what's crazy is that I don't know how this, we get into weird conversations. I got into a conversation last week with my, my kids, two of my kids are in here, my older daughter is serving in children's, but um, you can ask them. We got into a conversation about NSYNC and I named all five members of NSYNC and I don't even consider myself a fan. It was the weirdest thing. I, I'm just like, I don't even understand how I retain such information. But Bye 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 was the number one song. Another big song um, was, oops, she did it again. Um, and then, uh, this is actually a great song, uh, uh, is the song uh, Smooth by Carlos Santana, featuring Rob Thomas of uh, Matchbox 20. And then the other big song in the year 2000 was uh, right up here. That was the next tell. There it is. Uh, was Say My Name by Destiny's Child, which is before uh, Beyonce went solo, which you could say Beyonce is Destiny's grandchild. So, 
uh, anyway, all of which you can hear on 97.3 The Coast, the official radio station of all middle-aged people in South Florida, because we're the only ones still listening to the radio. And so, now, I'll tell you this. So, I got, uh, and forgive me if I'm just kind of riffing. It's 20 years. It's like, give me some slack, all right? I'll, I'm going to get, uh, there's a whole bunch of Bible I'm going to give you in just a minute, but let me just kind of enjoy the moment here, all right? So, uh, this is about a year ago, I got asked to speak at this event uh, for the city. And so I went down there all suited up and all that. And um, the person that was introducing me was a DJ that I had listened to, a radio DJ I had listened to since high school. And so uh, I, typically when I go do stuff, I bring someone with me. And so this time I brought my son Xander. And anyway, um, she loved Xander. Xander, my son, he's 11. He has this way about him that it's like you meet him and after like 30 seconds, you just, you just love him. He just has that like magnetic personality. Anyway, so, uh, so I told her, uh, the girl, I'm like, you know, I've been listening to you since I was in high school. I used to listen to 94.9 Zeta. Anybody remember 94.9 Zeta? Yeah, there we go. Wow, the, 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 the crowd really started thinning out there. Okay. So... <laughs> So anyway, um, and I said, you know, when I was in high school and starting college, I was listening to Zeta. And she goes, so you must be in your early 40s. And I said, yeah. And she goes, but your son is young. So how's that? And I said, well, you know, it took my wife and I a few years to kind of figure out how this whole thing worked. And, um, and she goes, you know, I can always tell how old people are based on what radio station they remember me from. And Zeta is one of the older ones. And it was like, okay. And now th there's this thing that we believe, right? That... Um, and now, a lot of times we believe it. It's not always true, but a lot of times we believe it that whatever the next thing is, it's going to be better, right? We do that where, you know, Apple releases something and we're like, oh, this is going to be way better than what I currently have, right? You have your phone and then they release a new phone and then some, instantaneously you decided that you hated your current phone because now the next phone is going to be the best thing. And, but sometimes it's not, the, the next thing isn't as good. Right? Have you heard the music that 2020 is giving to us? So I asked a friend of mine, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm honestly, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not up on current music for the most part, unless it's a band I already like. Um, I feel like all my slots have been taken as far as music. So everything I listen to is, you know, like from the 80s, pretty much, right? Like, so 80s, early 90s. Even after 2000, it's over for me. Anyway, so I said, can you send me something? I want to know, like, give me what's something new. And the guy sent me a song by Cardi B, which can only be described as a crime against humanity. Um, it was awful. And, and, you know, and I remember, listen, I remember, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday that I remember when Netflix mailed you CDs. Anybody remember that? Okay, so, and they were like, hold on, what? I'm like, yeah, there was a time that you would fill out what you wanted, and you would tell Netflix, I want this movie, then this movie, then this movie. They would mail you a DVD. You would watch it. You would put it back in the mail. I mean, it was like the worst system ever, but it's all there was. And so, and, but we thought, you know, streaming video. Then it, when they went off of streaming, and we thought it was going to be great, and it's not. Can I be honest with you? You know, you want to know what I miss? Of everything that, look, let me show you what I miss right here. I miss... Blockbuster video. I don't know, maybe it's just the hunter-gatherer in me, but I just liked roaming that, ex that perimeter wall of all new films. 
And then when the film that I wanted, all there was was just the, bo the empty box, it didn't have the actual VHS behind it, then you would hover around, anybody hover around the counter, waiting for someone to drop, you know, that rewound VHS of the movie Con Air starring Nicolas Cage. You know what I mean? I know none of you have seen that movie. It's so random. Um, but I'm telling you, like, you could wait on to scoop it up. And, you know, now you've got, I mean, you, you've got like 10,000 movies at your disposal and you have no idea what to watch. But see, there was a time you could drive to a place that was called 10,000 movies. And there was always something to watch. And, and, um, but but I, I tell you, Blockbuster has a uh, special place in my heart because my wife and I, when we were first dating, um, I got a Blockbuster membership. It was um, early 1993. And I remember that I put her, we had just been dating for a few weeks, and I had put her on the membership. And the girl behind the counter says, well, you just got to understand that if you guys break up, uh, she's still going to have access to this account. And we looked at each other like, we're not going to break up. And the girl gave us this look like, well, we'll see. <laughs> we dated for four and a half years, and in February, we will celebrate being married for 24 years. <laughs> Take that, lady at Blockbuster! That's why you went out of business. You don't believe in your customers. That's why. So, now, my point, if there is one, um, is that we just believe that the next thing is always going to be the best thing. And what happens is, is that when we have this belief, right, that if, if the next thing, if the new thing is going to be what's most important, listen, we will take our eyes off of the main thing. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. So what we're doing at Calvary um, for this next season uh, is that we are embarking on a, an adventure here at Calvary uh, through a really meaty book. There is no book in the New Testament that is more theologically dense and more complicated to teach than Hebrews. Hence why I've waited 20 years to teach Hebrews. I actually taught Hebrews in 1998. Uh, when I was teaching at a college, I was 24 years old. And at 24, you know everything. So I thought, what could I teach? Let me teach the hardest book in the New Testament to teach. And so, and I, and I did. And uh, anyway, they didn't fire me, so I guess it went okay. Um, but uh, but we're going we're gonna to delve into this. What I love about this book, uh, about Hebrews, is that it, it's written, just to give you a little bit of background, it's written to a group of Jewish Christians who are living in the area of Rome. They're going through a very difficult time. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you the, the difficulty that they're experiencing in, in just a minute. Much of it was very, very personal. That's the audience, the author. We aren't told who the author of Hebrews is. Uh, outright, like most of the letters, all the letters of the New Testament, at the very beginning of the letter, it tells you who it's from. This one does not. This one just gets started right with the theology of the book, where uh, personally, uh, I, I believe that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. I believe that for many reasons. Um, one of them being is that there was an early church leader named Clement of Alexandria. He was a, a, a preeminent church leader um, around the area at time of, it was around the second century. And he said that he's the earliest known 
uh, person to talk about the authorship of Hebrews. So he was the closest to the action. And he said that Paul wrote it, but Paul wrote it originally in Hebrew. Uh, Luke translated it into Greek, and then it got passed around uh, throughout the Roman world. So either way, there's other theories. And when I was in college, I had to write a paper on who wrote Hebrews. I actually, when I went through all my old Hebrews notes, I found the paper that I wrote. And yes, I got an A. So, uh, so that just goes to show you that Paul wrote it. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, but either way, the book was written around 67 AD, right before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And the writer throughout the book, and here's the thing that you have to understand, and the book is very complicated if you don't understand the question that they're asking. There is a question that's being asked throughout the book, and then Paul's gonna give us the answer. The question that's being asked is, if God loves me, why is life so hard? Life was hard for this group of people that Paul was writing to because their Jewish families had disowned them for becoming Christians. Some of them were so extreme that their families had even held funeral services for them because they had left their Jewish faith and become Christians. Others uh, were facing different types of persecution for their faith in Jesus. And, and so what the writer of Hebrews does is he writes them this very eloquent, very theologically dense letter as an encouragement to them who are experiencing difficulties. And in several different ways throughout this book, using a ton of examples, because by the way, the writer of Hebrews is expecting you to be an Old Testament scholar. Now, if you're not, don't worry, we're going to feed you the answers as we go. But he's expecting you to have a very good handle on uh, the overarching story of the Old Testament. And so he's going to use a ton of examples, and he's telling us that the answer to life being difficult is not figuring out a way to make life easier. He's saying the answer to life being difficult is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And here's the reason why, as we're going to learn today and as we continue in this book, is that nothing else in this world other than him will satisfy. So if you're here and you are asking the question, man, if God loves me, why is life so hard right now? You're in the right place. If you're here and you're wondering, I mean, is doing things God's way really worth it? You're in the right place. And if you're here and you're living with something other than Jesus as the focal point of your life and it hasn't satisfied, then I'm glad you're here because we're going to see where that ultimately leads. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and here's what we read. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, made himself, uh, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has obtained by inheritance a more excellent name, than they. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to know and that the writer wants you to know is that Jesus is greater than my past. He's greater than my past. The book opens with something that every Jewish mind would have agreed upon. No matter whether you were a Christian or not, they would have agreed at this, that God has spoken in various times and in various ways. 
He's spoken through the prophets throughout the centuries. He's spoken through a burning bush, through Mount Sinai, spoken through dreams, spoken through songs, through the Psalms, spoken through Proverbs and wise sayings. And then that, that revelation was spoken to us through these prophetic voices. But then he says this, that when God wants to give the last word, the final word, it would be spoken through his son because Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is. In John chapter 14, when Jesus is explaining to his disciples about his death, he's telling them what's going to happen. And he's telling them, and, and we, if you were here for the prophecy studies that we did, uh, I, I mentioned it briefly, that he says that I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions, many dwelling places. And if it wasn't so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And the way you know, the path you know. He's telling them, you, you understand what I'm talking about. And then Thomas says, no, we don't know what you're talking about. That's why I love Thomas. He's, he's like the voice of reality. I, we don't know what you're talking about. What, what, do you, what way is this you're talking about? And he goes, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then here's what the, once again, the response to that is what the uh, disciple Philip says. He says, let's see it on the screen. He says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. What he's saying is that, that means that Jesus is way. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and life, nobody comes to the Father except through me. He says, then show us the Father. He says, no, don't you get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one in essence. And see, here's the thing that can happen is that when we talk about Jesus' way being the best way, and we talk about Jesus is greater than your past, here's what we think about, that Jesus is greater than everything that was bad about my past. You see, there's all these things I did wrong, all these things that I thought were good ideas that were terrible, and then Jesus comes along, and man, Jesus is so much better than my past. You know, Jesus is so much better than the good stuff that happened in your past as well. And see, and, and, and that's the thing, that even if the past was good, it can't supersede. What the thing that Jesus is telling us. These Jewish believers they, in, that, that the writer is writing to, he's saying this. They're wondering if going back to the old way of life, like do I just go back and, you know, I just, I'll be Jewish and then kind of maybe worship Jesus in secret or something. Is that better? Is that just going to make my life easier? And perhaps it would have in the short term. But it would ruin the ultimate work that God wanted to do through them. Because here's where this meets us. Is that we all have a past. There's all these things that we've picked up along the way. And then we come to know Jesus, right? And then you try to reconcile all the things that you've picked up along the way. And so, you know, I, I came to know Jesus at the age of 19. And I'm so grateful that I was pretty young when I came to know Jesus because I hadn't really settled on a lot of things. Like I wasn't one of these people that was like totally stuck in his ways. I mean, I was 19. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think that the cement had really um, set yet. And so whenever I heard something that the, whenever I read the, you know, the Bible says this, I just went with that because I didn't really have a lot of other things to go on. And so what happens is, is that, um, you know, if I want my life to change and for God to transform me, here's what I've got to do. I've got to come to Jesus and I've got to accept what he's saying 
as the best possible way to live. Because once again, the writer would say, hey, God has spoken in a whole bunch of different ways. But the final time that God speaks, he has ultimately spoken through his son. And then he gives all of these descriptors of how Jesus is far superior to even the prophets who came before him. And that's the challenge, right? And this is how we tend to, um, you know, we tend to look at our, our lives of like, oh, you know, I can take this piece and take this piece and, and then kind of uh, mesh it together. And then I can take what God says and take that under advisement. And that's just, a, it's not, it's not how, how, how it works, right? So I, I was at my brother and sister-in-law's house yesterday. And um, I always do this. And if you've been around Calvary for a while, I talked about this. They have a mirror in their house that is literally the greatest mirror of all time. Because you can look in this mirror. It's probably warped or something, but it's warped in such a way that you look about four to six inches taller and about 10, uh, about 10 to 15 pounds thinner. And I go over there. The first thing I do every time I go to their house is I just stand in front of that mirror. And I was in front of the mirror yesterday and I was just saying to myself, like, I look so hot right now, right? <laughs> I was telling my wife that and she, she did not agree. Um, but, um, but anyway, so I was telling, and so I'm having this conversation. I remember the first time I stood in front of it um, and I, I'm like, I was telling my sister-in-law, like, I love this mirror so much. And she's like, you know, the problem with that mirror is that it really only shows you what you want to see. Um, a real mirror shows you reality and what needs to change. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's really good. And I said, and unknowingly, we just did a whole scene from the first Harry Potter movie uh, based on that little conversation. And so, but that's kind of how we tend to look at our lives, that we're, we're trying to find a mirror that says what we want it to say and then blame outside forces or whatever for the things that, that aren't good. And once again, here's what a mature believer does or someone who wants to be mature does, that he or she lives in reality, means that you look into the real mirror. You look it, it, and, and you, you, you trust God by taking responsibility and taking actions that lead to a better future because there's always a whole bunch of other voices. But when God wanted to give us the last word, the best word, he spoke through his son, which means that he needs to be our last word too. On whatever decision that we want to make, he's got to be the last word for us as well. And that involves trust because ultimately who you trust is who you're going to listen to. And that's, that's the thing. You can't have one foot in the boat and one foot uh, outside and think that you're gonna walk on water somehow that way. No, you've gotta put all of your trust outside the boat. That's, that's how that story worked. And uh, we've gotta trust God above all else. Well, he goes on in verse four and uh, he says, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And now he's gonna rattle off seven uh, Old Testament verses that are gonna prove his point. Uh, For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's Psalm two, verse seven. And again, I will be like a father to him uh, and he will be, uh, and he shall be to me a son. That is 2 Samuel seven fourteen. But to wit, um, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. That's Psalm 97, verse seven. And of the angels, he says, uh, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? That's Psalm 104, verse four. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God 
Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. That's Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. And then verse 10, he says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. They will be changed, and you are the same, and your years will not fail. That's Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. But to the which, which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? That's Psalm 110, verse 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? If you pause there and give me your attention, Here's the second thing I want you to note, and that is that Jesus is not just superior to my past. He's he's superior to my expectations. So the writer rattles off seven scripture verses showing that Jesus is not just greater than the prophets, that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, this is a step up because you have to understand that in, in, in Jewish culture, the prophets were revered among any other human being. Um, and any other people with the exception of Moses, and we'll get to him in chapter three. Um, But then, other than that, as far as other beings, other than God, angels were revered because they were considered to be the agents who delivered the word of God to the Jewish people. And and we see instances where that's the case. If you, once again, if you were with us a couple weeks ago in our prophecy study, uh, you know that in Daniel chapter nine, that the angel Gabriel brings that prophecy of the 70 weeks to uh, Daniel. In um, the book of Acts, there's uh, a gentleman by the name of Stephen who becomes the first martyr of the church. And he says this, you can see it up on the screen. He says, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And that's why the, the angels are so revered That's why in Jewish culture that every time, in the Old Testament, you'll read this, um, every time an angel shows up, The first tendency of people is to bow down and worship the angel, and they're told not to do that, but that is the tendency, and and the reason why we don't do that is because we don't worship the instrument, we worship the one who's holding the instrument in his hand. That's why the Apostle Paul would say it this way in Colossians 2. He says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and in the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Now, let me say this, just to, this, may, this isn't meant to sound unkind, all right? It's an observation. Now, it might be an unkind observation, you can decide, but I don't think it's unkind, I just think it's an observation. Anyway, have you ever noticed, because you know there's people that are like really, really into angels? And they've, they're, they're, they're like into, um, you know, they've got like angel stuff on their cars and they've got, they're into like angel sightings and they're talking to angels and they, they own every season of Touch by an Angel. You know, they've, this whole, like, you ever notice those people are kind of strange? Uh, and, and, and once again, that's not meant to be, it's just, it's just an observation. It's just, I think these people a lot of times are kind of strange. And, 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 and it's like, and, and let me explain this. Here's why I think people get into that stuff. Is because every person, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, every person um, has been born. Uh, what what uh, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, would say is that God has put eternity into our hearts. That there is something spiritual that every person craves because God has placed it within us. 
And the challenge is, is that what happens is when you try to get into kind of like this, um, you know, new agey type stuff or whatever, and, you know, crystals and whatever, um, it, the goal is to try to satisfy that part of us that desires something spiritual without any of the accountability of true spirituality. Once again, God has placed eternity in our hearts for the purpose of us drawing close to him. But when we get drawn into quasi-spiritual things, it inoculates us to the real thing. And once again, it could be like, well, I'm into angels or spirits or crystals or, um, you know, I have those dream catchers, which I'm not really sure how those things are working out. Um, but, but, you know, the thing is, whenever you have those things, those things aren't telling you how to live. Those things are never confronting us when we do something that's wrong and that we need to change. On the other hand, Jesus loves us enough to not stay silent and invites us to change and become the person that he is creating us to be. So uh, I guess it was about eight years ago, my family, uh, we, went to, uh, we went to Disney World and uh, Livy was real little. I mean, she was probably just a few months old. But we stayed in this hotel, and it had all of these, uh, every time you, got, you opened the elevator, there were all these mural paintings. Uh, every floor had a different mural uh, painting. So we're staying on the third floor, and when the elevator opened up, we saw this mural picture. Um, Xander was probably about three years old at the time. It totally freaked him out. It, it was a picture of what it looked like was this guy in a field somewhere. He was wearing this kind of big hat and he was eating what looked like a cracker. And um, I know that doesn't sound terrifying, but when you're three, it could probably freak you out. Well, anyway, um, he got really upset by it and he's like, I don't want to see the picture again. And we tried and then um, it, was, it was terrible. And so they had these murals all over. And so we decided and I said, look, okay, here's what we'll do. Whenever we go out, the girls will take the elevator, you and I will take the stairs. I don't know why I made this agreement. This is a father's love right here because you know how when you go out, there's like always something that your kids forget? Well, we had that and it was like, oh, I'll just run up and Dan would be like, I'll go with you. And it's like, well, I guess I'm taking three flights of stairs up. And then we, anyway, so it was like several flights of stairs just to go somewhere on this trip. And so, but at the bottom floor, there was this picture of angels dancing. And he was curious about it. And it, for the next three days, all we did was talk about angels. Who angels are, what angels do, where do angels live, who do angels work for, and we're talking about all this. And, um, and, and so the, every time we're going up the stairs, all we talk about are angels. But we get back into town, Xander goes back to school, and he's in a pre-K class, and he tells the teacher uh, that he has a story that he'd like to tell her, and he says, well, why don't you tell it to the whole class? So I drop him off, and then he says, so then all the kids sit down, um, and he stands up in front of the class, and, uh, and I'm telling you, this is three years old, and I mean, Xander's like just started talking, you know, over the last few months at, at this time, and he's like, he's like, everyone, I want to tell you the story of the angel picture. And you, these kids are all three years old. They're like, the angel picture, tell us more. I mean, they are just into it, right? And so, and he just starts going into, you know, angels are our protectors. 
Angels are God's helpers. Angels live with God in heaven. I mean, he is going for it. They do, the, uh, they, they do work that God tells them to do, and he helps people who love God do the things that they are called to do. Xander is preaching a sermon to these kids at three years old, and the kids are riveted, and I'm thinking, like, I think I just found my replacement. And um, so, now, but here's the thing that Xander and I learned that I think would be important for us to learn. There's a kind of growth that only comes by taking the stairs. Um, that you don't learn new things about who God is, get to a higher level of spiritual maturity simply taking the elevator. No, instead, some lessons are only found by taking the stairs. Uh, and that learning the lesson comes from taking a path that is a little bit harder. And that comes, listen, focusing on Jesus, nothing else. And that these angels that... The writer is saying, Jesus is greater than these angels, listen, exist to help us, but are not there to be a substitute for the real thing. And um, because once again, when we focus on Jesus and not anything else, not the things that just give us warm fuzzies, because those things don't ask us to become more than we are. Well, last thing. And then we're done. We're going to start, uh, we're going to skip to chapter two in verse five because he picks up the angel conversation again. He says this in verse five. He says, uh, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in, subje uh, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you, that you care, take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. And have crowned him with glory and honor. And you've set him over the works of your hands and have put all things in subjection under his feet. That's Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. And he says this, for, we, for in that he put all things in subjection to him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. That is the verse in the Bible that is, yeah, things are still messed up. Right, right now, we do not see all things in subjection to Jesus. But he's, here's what he says, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to tell you, and then we're done. And that is this, that Jesus is my vision, our vision of a better future. There's this beautiful transition here because chapter one is about how Jesus is greater than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is greater than the angels at the last half of chapter one. And what's cool about chapter two is that uh, the writer changes gears because he recognizes that focusing on the glory of Jesus might make him seem a bit out of reach. And so what he, he talks about the glory of Jesus in another way. That Jesus, even though he was greater than the angels, was willing to make himself lower than the angels by becoming human for the purpose of dying for us and to put everything right that has been made wrong throughout history. And when we focus, and this is the key, remember the question, if God loves me, why is life so hard? When we focus on what's wrong in the world, and there is plenty to focus on about what's wrong in the world, it will cause us to wonder if God cares for us or even notices. That's why verse 8 says, but, we, but now we do not see all things put under him. Meaning, we don't see a world where Jesus is ruling and reigning. And if we focus on that, we're going to be depressed. 
because our world is a disaster. Um, but I love the next sentence. It's not only highlighted, it is underlined in my Bible in pen. It, those four words, but we see Jesus. And that's the change of focus that will change everything in your life if you allow it to. Um, last year, my, my brother lives in L.A., um, he's an actor, and so he was, but he was in town last year, and so he came over and spent the day with us. Um, and I, we were talking, I was making lunch, and I was talking to him, and I said, hey, do you remember um, this kid named Russell in our neighborhood? This is back in Brockton, Massachusetts, where I grew up. And I said, do you remember Russell and his older brother, Eddie? And he said, yeah, of course. He's like, they lived like one block away from us. And... Uh, and I said, well, I don't know if you remember this. And I said, and I'm telling you all of this because I have owed you a thank you for like 30 years. And so I'm, I'm trying to say thank you now. And I said, but I don't know if you remember this, but Eddie used to bully me. And um, my, his brother Russell and I were the same age. And um, his brother would harass me um, and mess with me. Um, and, and he knew that if I ever did anything to him, and once I did, I, I beat up Russell. And then his, his brother was like, uh, Eddie was on the hunt to like kill me. Um, but anyway, so, but Eddie would always give me a hard time. I had a paper route, and so I would be on my paper route by myself, and he'd give me a super hard time. Anyway, and I said, but you moved in with us. And you, had, you hadn't been, in, been, you know, we didn't really know each other that well. He's my stepbrother. And so um, I said, we had only known each other for like a few weeks. And Eddie tried to mess with me. And you told him, and I'm like, you got up in his face and you told him that's not the way things are gonna work anymore. Um, and Eddie never messed with me again. And I didn't have to be afraid because there was someone who was for me. And listen, because I knew that my brother was for me, I could walk around my neighborhood differently. I could walk in my, my, my neighborhood safely. I could talk differently. I had confidence that came um, from his decision to get involved in my problem and be part of the solution. This is why, my friends, the only solution for our world is the gospel of Jesus. Right now, listen, right, right now everything is leading up to an election and everybody, that everybody thinks is going to change the world. You know, this is, we're gonna, the election is gonna change it, and we need to pass new laws to transform our world, and we're gonna reform existing institutions. It's gonna modify our world. And listen, if that's all it took to change our world, can I, can I tell you something? We would have done it by now. We would have. We would have elected the right person. We would have passed the perfect laws. We would have transformed institutions. But listen, what we fail to recognize is that the problem is at a heart level. And unless our solutions involve a transformation of the human heart, our results will be shallow at best. So let me bring it a little closer to home. Um, what we read in verse 8 there, he says, we don't see everything in subjection to him. We don't see everything in submission to Jesus. And life is never going to be perfect until everything is subjected to Jesus. But we see Jesus. We focus on Jesus. And listen, the more that you subject things, the more that you put every area of your life into subjection, 
you, you put every part of your life submitted to Jesus, there is an incredible joy that happens. I mean, you can have joy in your family, but you have to decide to model Jesus. You've got to set aside your rights. That's what Jesus did. He was made a little lower than the angels. But he was set aside for the joy of everyone else. I talked about this a little bit at our couples retreat. If you weren't there, I'll fill you in. Um, you know, my wife and I have been married almost 24 years. And what I would love to tell you is that it was 24 years of marital bliss and we had never been in an argument um, outside of who gets to go first, right? And, and that's not how that works. Um, and, you have, and we had gone through a difficult season in our, in our marriage. And, um, and I remember talking to her and I apologized and I, just said, and I said to her, and I said, I want you to, I'm making a commitment to you. And I said that from this day on, I commit myself to your joy. And I made a decision that I was gonna devote every bit of energy, authority, resource and time to bring her joy. That was my goal. That was my goal in life and has been for years now. Um, and I want to tell you that the, the craziest thing happened. And what I didn't expect, I found a joy that I had never known before. Listen, and I'm telling you this, that I stand before you today as a man who has a joy that is even impossible to put into words. And, um, and I'm telling you that this, 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 this joy that I experience, that my family experiences right now, and, and, and even in this season of our lives, you see, there really is something to what Jesus said, that if you will lose your life, you'll find it. And that begins with someone who has authority laying it aside for themselves and leveraging it for someone else. And make no mistake, this is possible for you. But you've got to decide that the things that you've believed, that you've come to Jesus, that Jesus is going to be the final word. The things that you've admired, that you've, you just believe Jesus a little bit more. That when you decide that things aren't going your way right now, then you can either focus on that or you can say this, but we see Jesus who humbled himself for our benefit. And when you humble yourself for the joy of those around you, listen, do it and give it some time and you will find a joy that is beyond words in your own life as you choose to give your life away. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that reality and that promise and God our hope our hope is that we would be people that God we don't live perfect lives but we would be people that even in the midst of imperfection that we would still be able to experience a joy that the rest of the world would look on and say something is different and so God thank you for that we pray it in Jesus name and everybody said Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. 
Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.